0: Thank you, uh, choir Frank and Murray. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter seven. Um, And it's a Sermon on the Mount, part of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's recorded in its entirety by Matthew. Matthew is the only one that's recorded, appears in different places in Luke, but it's Matthew who records the entire uh, sermon. Had a little boy that asked me one time (laughs) Um, it was Jesus riding a horse when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. I thought that was a good question, uh, and so I didn't want to tell him no. I said just maybe. You know, when a preacher gets into a situation, he can just say maybe, and maybe somebody will get something out of it. But it's the Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus went on the mountainside, he drew his disciples to him, and they came to him, and he said, You have heard this. And what had happened was Scripture had gotten away from its original intention, and that's the way sometimes it happens. We translate it the way we want to translate it rather than what it was originally meant to be translated. And uh, loving your enemies got to be translated to those who you like and around your family and those who you like. Some of the hardest words in Scripture is to love your enemies. Now, uh, these couple of weeks that we have been in uh, were just ready for me to preach on hell. Amen? We could just, I mean, it's been so hot lately, it ought to go. We could go outside and I'd preach on hell. Amen? And, and, and that's a good message to preach, but today I want to preach about the idea about me and what do I need to do, and not my brother not my sister. But what about me? And who's the problem in this situation? Is it him or her? Or is it me? And if I deal with me, then maybe some changes around me will happen that I could not see otherwise. Now, there was a uh, couple that they started dating, and she lived on the rich side of the tracks, and he lived on the poor side. And uh, so her daddy would pay for their dates, and he, she'd say, if it wasn't for my daddy's money, we wouldn't be here on this date. And uh, they got engaged, and he bought the ring, and he said, if it wasn't for my daddy's money, we wouldn't have this ring. And then they got married, and he said, if it wasn't for my daddy's money, we wouldn't have paid for We wouldn't have had all this wedding, and they went on their honeymoon in Jamaica and said, if it wasn't for my daddy's money, we wouldn't be here. And he would just about taken as much as he could handle. And so he said, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but let me say this. If it wasn't for your daddy's money, I wouldn't be here, amen. (laughs) Now here's the question, the end of that, okay? Remember the end of that better than all the rest of that thrown in. What are you here for? What are you here for? And that's a good question. If I were to summarize and put it in a nutshell and put it in our brains, uh, by the way, the big brains, uh, it would be this. We're here to know Jesus Christ and to make him known. Or to sit and listen and to go and do. And if you would put that, my purpose in um, Ephesians 2.10 says that before the foundations of the earth God had a plan for me and you when we came into this world and we're not accidents but we came in here with a plan and purpose that God has for mine in your life and uh, I hate to see people who miss that purpose and sometimes that happens and the reason we miss that purpose sometimes is because we have this flaw in our lives and in our inner voices, in our inside of us, that struggle sometimes with our self-centeredness and our self-righteousness. And we have a way of seeing it in other people, but we have a hard time seeing it in ourselves. Billy Graham uh, went to Cambridge in 1955 And Cambridge and Oxford are kind of the center of the world's academics. Anything from Cambridge and Oxford is the latest thing coming down the pipe for academics. And even Harvard looks at Cambridge and Oxford. And he was invited by a group of Christians to come there. But the academic session of Cambridge said, "Um, I appreciate Billy Graham, he's a nice guy, but he's a fundamentalist Baptist preacher. And uh, we, we don't want him to be here. Billy Graham took that as a challenge. So he, he went to Cambridge and uh, the beautiful campus there, oldest, and you can go back years and years and years, and great scholars that have come from Cambridge. And he prepared his sermon for uh, a group that was there, and, and he preached in St. Mary's Chapel. And when he preached in St. Mary's Chapel, he preached three sermons that he was kind of, Preaching to the audience that he thought would be right for Cambridge. And something happened that just he wasn't used to. When he gave the invitation, nobody came forward. And so he scrapped the rest of those sermons and he said, I'm going to preach on the blood of Jesus Christ. May not be happy to receive academically, but it's what needed to be done here and so he preached on the blood of Jesus Christ the faculty was embarrassed the chapel chaplain was embarrassed but when he gave the invitation 400 people came down to receive Christ as their savior the power of forgiveness of sin and the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and we can preach around it and preach over this side of it but the deepest need in mind in your life is to deal with the guilt that comes because of the sin in life. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When I was here last time, I got to know an emergency room doctor who is a very fine physician. I mean, the man was just great. And that was the place that he needed to be in the emergency room. And sometimes when people come through the emergency room, you have to make a decision really quick about the diagnosis of what's the problem. And instead of treating symptoms, you need to treat the problem. And oftentimes it's an emerging kind of situation that has to be done quickly. And this doctor had the ability to do that. When you came into his emergency room, you could tell he cared about you. You could tell that he understood about you. And you could tell that he you were in his hands, he could figure out what it was that it was wrong in the situation, made a diagnosis, an accurate diagnosis, and then came his solution. And I enjoyed knowing him, I know, knowing about him, I enjoyed being with him. But it was found out that he had cancer. and the cancer he had was a cancer cancer that was only diagnosed in the latter stages of that cancer so while he was so good at diagnosing other people he struggled with our diagnosing himself and Jesus talks about that on the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bibles, would you stand up as I read from us from Genesis from Genesis? We can go to Genesis if you want to, but let's go to Matthew, okay? Matthew chapter seven, verse one. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. Isn't that intimidating? Because we tend to give ourselves grace and give somebody else truth. But the standard that we judge other people will be measured upon us and our judgment. Verse 3. And why do you uh, behold the moat or the plank that is in your brother's, the speck that is in your brother's eye? but you consider not the plank that is in your own eye. Or how will thou say to thy brother, let me pull the mote out of your eye, and behold, the beam is in your own eye. Oh, these are harsh words. You hypocrite. Oh, wow. Now, if you're sitting next to a hypocrite, no, we won't do that. Let's <laughs> Again, we're... I encourage the, here to the spray for hypocrites, but they keep showing up in church. And, and sometimes they're sitting next to us, and sometimes it's right there with us. You hypocrites, first, and there's a good word right there, first cast the beam out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to help that speck that is in your brother's eye. Are your sisters? may God bless the reading of your word and you may be seated and if you have your Bibles would you turn with me to Luke so we're going to take a text and depart from it Luke chapter 7 and beginning uh, with probably uh, verse 32. Uh, verse 33, or wherever we want to go. 36, how about that? Now, there was a uh, person that bought his dog into the veterinarian's office, and uh, so he said, I think my dog's dead, but I'm not sure. So the veterinarian went into his inner closet, got this old tomcat that he had to put on some gloves to um, hold this tomcat. Mm-hmm. He was going all over the place. And he took that Tomcat and he ran it down one side of that dog and ran it down the other side of the dog and ran it down the middle of that dog. And he said, yeah, your dog's dead. And he said, why do you know that? And he said, because I have just done a CAT scan. Are you ready for that? (laughs) Now... David does a cat scan on his life, and he says, And search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me into life everlasting. So let's bow our heads for just a moment. Would you let God do a CAT scan on your heart today? And with you in all honesty, in the inner beings of your mind and in your heart, search me, oh God. Help me to deal with the hardest person I have to deal with. But the one that causes me the most problem, it's me. So do a CAT scan on my heart and show me those places that I need to ask for your forgiveness. To do life everlasting in Jesus name I pray amen amen now let's look back at uh, Luke chapter 7 and we begin in verse 36 and Jesus has been preaching um, in a place called Magdala he was a itinerant preacher and I knew a preacher from Orville that would preach around different places uh, around the counties and Jesus is preaching itinerantly from place to place and he is preaching in a place called Magdala and I remember Susan and I going on that trip in Israel and seeing the excavations that they're doing there in Magdala and he was preaching the good news of Jesus Christ it was good news euangelion is kind of a Greek word for that it's, and preached about the kingdom of God and in the middle of that was this kind of formula about the forgiveness of sin. That is the offer of forgiveness of sin. And it was such a great sermon in such a way that Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to come to his house to eat lunch or come and have a banquet. And if you have your Bibles, look in verse 36 in one of the Pharisees. And Luke wants to keep telling us that these were Pharisees. And Pharisees were very religious people. They, they knew God's word backwards and forwards. And they knew how to uh, interpret God's word. And they could really interpret God's word. But they had a self-righteousness built upon the fact that I stay away from sin. I don't get involved in sin. And I'm better than so-and-so. I'm better than this one, I'm better than that one, better than this one. And so they had this uh, Pharisee banquet, and Jesus is invited there to be with them in a Pharisee banquet. I don't know what you eat in a Pharisee banquet. I know you don't eat barbecue, you don't eat catfish. I mean, those are some good things to have there. They don't have grits there. This is what I found out in a McDonald's there in Israel once was there. You cannot get a cheeseburger in a Jewish uh, restaurant, and the reason is because Deuteronomy says you don't eat meat and put cheese on it because it just sits there in your stomach like a bad taco. Amen. And so, um, just and you have these wild dreams at night when you go to bed and of Indians attacking you in airplanes and all these kind of things. So I don't know what you eat at a Pharisee banquet. They leave the eyes on the fish. Now that just spoils the meal when they leave the eyes on the fish. But there's Jesus, and he's reclining. That's what it says. He came in to recline there at the Pharisee's house. And as he's at the Pharisee's house, they, they would recline, and their heads would there, and their feet would be down here, and they would have these couches that they would recline on. And he invites Jesus to his house. But then he ignores him. Anybody do that? You ever done that? Invite Jesus to your place of business, but you ignore him. Or invite Jesus to this event or that event and just kind of ignore him. And so he invited Jesus, but he ignored him. It's something about Jesus that had this drawl <laughs> that drew him to Jesus, but yet he kind of keeps him at a distance. And, and at that distance, he holds him out there like this. And so Jesus is ignored. And he invited me to your house and you ignored me. Sooner or later, I'd get a to-go bag and go. I mean, that's, you know, whatever. And especially if I was single, I'd definitely get two to-go bags and go and leave the place. But he's like a stamp. He stays what he's on until he reaches his destination. Now, I'm going to use that somewhere, so if I use that, you get the idea about the stamp. But anyway, he's there. And he doesn't leave because he's present to the moment. And into that Pharisee banquet came this lady of the street. And she was a notorious sinner in that community. I think it was Mary Magdalene. And as Jesus preached about forgiveness, the guilt maybe in her life, she had become what she had become, but she didn't like who she was becoming. And she had become a hardened kind of person because of the lifestyle and the business that she was in. And she didn't like who she was. And when she heard Jesus talk about forgiveness, it just came into her life. And she said, that's a message. Maybe she's sitting in the back. Maybe she was sitting in the Maori room. What do you think she was sitting in the Maori room? wherever she was sitting, she was at a distance. And she heard that message of forgiveness. And she grabbed hold of it because that was exactly what she needed. And she heard that Jesus was in Simon the Pharisee's house. And so she found a way to get to Jesus. She had to show him how much she cared about him. And so she found a place in that, in that Pharisee's house. Nobody invited her, but she was there. And as she came there, she had this expensive perfume that, that cost her a lot of money. But in, as she got to Jesus' feet, the emotional moment was so much, And it it tells you that Jesus' message had gotten down to her emotions because we can hide our emotions from the message of forgiveness. And it got down to her emotion. And when she got to Jesus' feet, the tears came. The tears came. And it's a moment that only those who have been totally forgiven of their sins no, what a release that is. And Simon was sitting there. And so Simon makes a judgment, and his judgment comes out of the flaw of the plank in his own eye. And he says this, if Jesus knew who, what kind of woman this was, he must not be a prophet. So he misjudges the moment. Planks in our eyes cause us to misjudge moments and we come up with our own evaluation of what's going on and what's happening. And we act on those kind of wrong evaluation. And he knew that Jesus wasn't a prophet because of the plank in his eye. Because he's touching this woman who's a woman of the street. But she's not the same person. She has been changed by that gift of forgiveness. She is a new creation that God, only God can make through this forgiveness of sin. And so he says, if he was a prophet, which he is greater than a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. She's not the same as she used to be. But Jesus read his inside thoughts. Boy, that's frightening. It's not the outside. He's able to read those inside thoughts. And those inside voices that are in our heads. And is that not frightening? It's one thing to you to see me on the outside. It's another thing to see me on the inside. And that is threatening. So Jesus told him a parable. It is the first parable that he told in verse 40. It said, Jesus answering and said unto him, Simon, and he said, which is a moment of enlightenment. Simon, let me let you see, let me let you see how I see this one. And so Simon said, he's not sure about this. He's stepping back from this and he's saying, okay, Sam. And he said, a man had two creditors or two uh, debtors. Creditor had two debtors and neither one of them could forgive him one had a load of 50 the other had a load of 500 all of us have bear a sin load there's nobody in this world that doesn't have some kind of sin load there were times that we should have done what we didn't do and paul talks about oh wretched person that I am oh if not i don't have god's grace i'm in trouble so Jesus uh, says there were two creditors, and his credit. I mean, his creditor or two debtors, and he said, and neither one of them could pay him back. It, it, you could not do it through self righteousness. There is no righteousness that can pay back the sin debt that we know. There, you and I can, all of our sins are like filthy rags. Nobody can pay back sin righteousness. We can't even do it by comparing with other people. I'm better than him, I'm better than her, but all of us have a sin bearing that all of us has to bear. So how do we deal with that sin bear? Uh, And he graciously, the creditor graciously forgave him. Now wouldn't you like to have a banker like that, amen, just graciously forgave your mortgage and you would be debt free. That would be awesome so we need to save more bankers so they can help us be debt-free in all this world. But he graciously forgave and this is the reason he did. Because there's going to be a time at the cross when my sin and your sin is going to be placed on Jesus. And he's going to say, You can't earn it, you can't compare it, but you can receive it. And Simon walks away, and the woman receives it. It marvels me how people can walk away from that. And how you and I can walk away with it. When somebody else who says a bigger load of sin. Receives it with all their heart. So Jesus turns his attention back to the woman. I think again, I think it's Mary Magdalene. She becomes the leader of women. And she was the last one at the cross. And the first one at the tomb. And she became the first evangelist. But he looks back at her and he tells her again, your sins are forgiven because she needed assurance. And all of us need assurance. Last week I had three funerals. Two of them I couldn't give any kind of assurance. There was no assurance. I hope they had accepted Christ as their Savior. I hope they had lived the kind of life that reflected that they had Christ as their Savior. But there was no evidence on the outside. Good people, fine people, had great um, college degrees. But I wished I could have said, I know where they are today, but I couldn't say that. And that's a hard sermon or a hard funeral to do. I did everything I could to get around it somewhere. God loves us, and we're placing it in God's hands. But there was no assurance that I could give that this person knew Christ as their Savior. But he gives her that assurance. And these are the words he said unto her, if you have your Bible, verse 48, thy sins are forgiven. In the Greek tense, that's in the perfect tense. That is, a, they are forgiven back then, they're forgiven now, and they will be for, forever forgiven. But the other is just kind of questioning. We don't know. I don't know about this Jesus. It's amazing how Simon knew the got the right answer, but he didn't know what to do with the right answer he got. Did you stay with that? <laughs> I don't want to lose you. I know the roast is burning, but (laughs) you can have the right answer and not know what to do with the right answer you've got. So they're just kind of questioning. And then he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved you. go go forward from this moment on in the peace the shalom of God's peace when you have the assurance of forgiveness it's a peace that passes understanding Um, when Susan and I had our first child and I say that Susan and I had our first child. Uh, I went to the Lamaze classes. We both went to the Lamaze classes. We were out stationed in Virginia, Fort Lee, Virginia. We went to our Lamaze classes. The most unsexiest thing is eight-month pregnant women doing Lamaze exercises. And then they show you the pictures of how the baby is born in men. It's hard to stay with that, you know that? But uh, when Susan started having these contractions, we had to drive from, from Petersburg to um, Richmond. And as we drove to there, and, and they told us to take chips of ice and the M&M's. So, uh, so I took her to the chip, chips of ice, and she's sitting there, and we were doing our exercise, Doing those exercises. And so, I ate the M&M's. I really needed, <laughs> I needed the energy. I was giving out of energy. <laughs> After a while, you just kind of give out energy. So I went to get her some more ice and maybe find a vending machine somewhere to find some M&M's. And uh, there was this guy that was there. He was a medical student there at Medical College of Virginia. And he was really down. And I asked him, uh, I said, you OK, man? We've been through those Lamaze classes together. And uh, I said, you OK? And, um, and he was hanging his head down low, and he walked away. And then I found out later that this umbilical cord is wrapped around the little baby, and the baby was born, uh, born dead. was a tough moment when our son mike was born uh, they slapped him that's what you do or whatever they do and the cry the cry didn't give life the cry showed that life was there his didn't have a cry She just poured herself out on Jesus. This didn't earn salvation because you can't earn salvation. But it showed that salvation was there. You can't do enough. When Jesus comes into your life and that inner voice is there and he heals you in that inner part of your being through his gift of forgiveness, then it's got to be expressed. And it's not the earning uh, that you get of salvation. It cannot be earned. It's the expression of how much you love God and for what he has done for you. And he paid it all. He paid it all. And now he offers it up to be received. And it's amazing to me how many people just kind of walk away and do not receive that gift. And people in church sit under the music and sit under the preaching of God's word and they walk outside And they leave that offer behind. There was a preacher that would preach, and as as he preached, there was this guy who was there sitting on the back row, and and he would meet him at the door, and he would say this, um, boy, you really let them have it today. And then one day he went out, and he said, you know, uh, they really needed that today. And then one day it snowed. Nobody was there but the man. And so he let him have the whole load. Sometimes you do that as a preacher. And he, when he walked out, he said this. They should have been here. They really needed that today. <laughs> now, who is it that needs it today? Would you bow your heads for just a moment? let's go back to the Lord who needs it today what's that plank in your life that you would like to blame somebody else maybe it's anger maybe it's greed maybe it's guilt but it's clouding your vision Only one person can yank the plank, and that's Jesus Christ. So today, what is your plank? What is that big thing that's causing you to distort your vision of the people around you? Maybe it's judgment, whatever it may be, God wants to heal that. Father, we offer up to you our planks, and all of us have them. Forgive us and store unto us the joy of your salvation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, invitation hymn is from 530. If you look at the bottom, you will see there was a person that wrote the words to this song. And I've heard George Beverly Shea sing that song so many times. Um, I'd rather have Jesus. And his mother was, he was playing piano, but he was not satisfied with a lot of the things in his life. And he's not satisfied with the direction of his life and, and an offer from the NBC to come and sing with the NBC programs. But she would put this poem on his piano. Until finally, it got his attention, and as he looked at the words of this song, all of a sudden the music began to form in his mind. And he didn't write the words, but he wrote the music. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. As we stand today, if God has placed a decision on your heart, maybe you need to come down here and invite Christ into your life, maybe to come join this church, maybe to be baptized. Maybe some of you have made a decision, but you've never made that a public decision. Then today is the day to do that. But let these words kind of sink in your heart and let God speak to you as, you, as frankly just as we sing these words.